All right. Welcome to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. Today, my guest is Rick Rule. So Rick is the singer songwriter for the band Every Mother's Nightmare. Uh, and this band, you know, they had some big songs, videos back in the day on MTV. Love Can Make You Blind, uh, Walls Come Down, House of Pain. And they played alongside some great bands like Cheap Trick and Van Halen. You know, he was on the Joan Rivers show. So things were really good. And then, uh, you know, they weren't like a lot of the bands of that era in the early 90s, uh, late 80s. When grunge hit, then, you know, the music scene obviously changed and Rick fell on hard times. But uh, he's back now and he's got a brand new record. It's called Resurrect the Faithful. It's out now. The single Breathe has over 175,000 views on YouTube. The band sounds great. Rick is really excited. You can hear it in his voice. So check it out. I think you'll enjoy this. And welcome to the show, uh, Rick Rule. Did I say that right? Yes, right. That's okay, right. it's easy to pronounce. Nice. Every Mother's Nightmare singer, songwriter. You uh, you don't play you don't play guitar on stage, do you? Uh not no more, man. It's too. Uh, I, I I'm not a very good multitasker. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But you do you do play guitar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. my my first love. I started out playing drums, then moved to guitar, and then uh. Went to singing out of because uh, we could never find nobody to do it, so um, just did it and uh, just stuck with me, you know. Yeah, so it was like Jim Morrison, Steven Tyler, Robert Plant, and Alice Cooper were kind of your your main influences. In fact, it was a Welcome to My Nightmare Alice Cooper concert that kind of inspired you to get into music and right in the first place in rock. Oh yeah, man. My, well, I had a, my uncle was a drummer, so I had a, you know music. He was a professional drummer, so he uh, he was in my life. Had me a. Uh, you know, looking at that, and then my uncle worked for Charlie Daniels for 29 years. So, uh, oh, I didn't know that. There was always music around, but yeah. What I've did your uncle do for Charlie now. Daniels? Like, Man, I gotta go do that. <laughs> what did your uncle do? Uh, he was a drummer. He played in a band called Stage Dust. It was overseas. Uh, he's a, a classical drummer, man, real good. Oh, okay. Um, he uh, he uh, he did the 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 training and did. He knows everything, you know, percussion. Okay. So, yeah, and you grew up in Nashville. Now, I, I visited there for the NFL draft. I thought it was so – I don't know if it's always like that, like it was for the NFL draft with just so many people, live music right. everywhere. Um, and I thought it was amazing. But you tell me, what it was it like growing up there as a kid in the 70s and 80s? Was it the same? Yeah. Uh, I actually grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, the home of the Tennessee Volunteers, you know. Sure. Um, and uh, the music scene there was pretty much dead, so I moved to Nashville into a ten by twenty storeroom, and um, you know, just uh, yeah, the music, the scene down there was, uh, you know, you could go hit a Wednesday night and the bar be full, and the band was good, and uh, you know, all the bands kind of worked with each other and trying to help each other get deals and stuff. But yeah, man. So the live music was still big even in the seventies and eighties. Has it has it gotten bigger though? Because I feel like it's. I mean, there was music at the airport. Some the our Uber driver was telling us there was a live music music at McDonald's. Like it's just oh, literally I everywhere. I wouldn't doubt that a minute, man. They're trying to do. Uh, they're trying to do everything. Uh, everything there, man. It's it's uh, the thing I don't like about it now that it's got so big. Uh, like every day you go there, it's just it's bigger. There's so much more going on in the. The real true roots of the country and the record labels there kind of is, uh, you know, kind of got washed over by the by the uh, tourist and the, and the money and, and trying to make the money and all that thing. But as uh, long as the music don't die, I think it, it would be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So and then what about like the food in, in, uh, in Tennessee? Is there some southern dishes that are like known to Tennessee that you can't get anywhere else? Oh, yeah, there's a bunch, man. Uh, 
uh, the, my favorite thing growing up was called, uh, uh, I don't know if y'all had it, but it's, we call it, uh, shit on shingles. <laughs> it's basically chip beef, chip beef, cream, and, uh, toast. <laughs> no, I, I don't meal. Okay. I don't know if I've ever heard of that. I didn't know it was a real thing. I thought, <laughs> thought that was like a slang term for something that wasn't very good. It's an actual dish though, huh? No, it's very, it's really good. Okay. It sounds bad, but it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's not just a clever name then to try to sell it. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Um, <laughs> so then, in, uh, so tell me about your the the band that you're in now. You see, Every Mother's Nightmare. You formed it in 1987 in Nashville, and then you, you actually moved to Memphis, I think, right? Right. Yeah. As soon as I as soon as I got a handful of songs together, um, I had a manager already in Nashville, Doc Fields, and uh, he did, waited on me to put the band together. And when I had enough songs in a little ballad, you know, he was like, "Let's go to Memphis," and we came to Memphis. Um, man, it was like we got here on Memphis on a Friday night, and then we were having um, for the uh, uh, they used to call it Crossroads down here, but it was more like a you know South by South by Southwest kind of. Oh, deal, okay. Know, just uh, uh, labels came down, and uh, the next by by Sunday morning, I was uh, ha- having breakfast with uh, you know BMI and ASCAP, and uh, and talking to Mitchell Cohen and Clive Davis and. Uh, Jason Flom from Atlantic. So, uh, yeah, a lot, my life changed a bunch. <laughs> yeah. So and, uh, tell me about, really yeah, it, Clive but, Davis, you know, uh, art, art, uh, what is it? Artista records. That guy's pretty famous. He discovered Aerosmith. He's yeah. got like five Grammys. He's in the rock and roll hall of fame as a non-performer. I feel like, uh, people always think these record company executives are the enemy. Uh, but what was your experience with Clive Davis? Was he just a shark well, in a suit or was he a good guy that helped you out or? Oh man, he was uh, he was incredible. You know, the first thing he told me, uh, the our A and R man from uh, Arista then was Mitchell Cohen, and he was just like the quietest, timid guy you would ever meet in your life. And how he came to see uh, uh, me and want to sign, he was uh, that's the first thing that uh, Clive told me. He goes, you know, Mitchell Cohen uh, come in here and told me that he had a band he wanted to sign in Memphis, Tennessee called Every Mother's Nightmare, and he goes, I had to come and see, and um, you know when somebody like Clive Davis, you know, uh, says they're coming to see you play. We didn't have nowhere to play. So we built a, a stage in a warehouse and got a PA crammed in there and got a bunch of our friends bands to play and, uh, got some beer and told everybody it was free. And, uh, he came down, took my boots off my feet because they were, were held together with, uh, tape and guitar wire and, uh, everything. And he put them on his desk. They stayed on his desk for probably a year, but no, that dude was, uh, he was, a uh, uh, incredible man uh you know he's had his hands on like you said aerosmith janice joplin uh you know just uh, this uh whitney houston uh you know god just everybody's touch was gold um he touched me but uh i wasn't ready for uh man i i i had my band together when i got my record deal we we had a handful of songs and then we played 13 shows. And then the next thing we were in a studio recording a record. And, uh, you know, all we knew we wanted back then was we had to have a record deal, had to have a record deal. Yeah. So we really know what to do with the record. Deal. <laughs> but yeah, well, you're, <laughs> Didn't you're know what to do with it when we got it. Yeah. So your record 1990 right. comes out self-titled debut. It's a, uh, it's number 146 on the billboard top 200, which is, which is a uh, pretty good. And then you have that single love can make you blind. It's on the, and the walls come down a couple right. singles on MTV. So did they tell you when they're going to play your video ahead of time on MTV or you just submit it and hope for the best. And then you're surprised when they actually show it. 
Right. That's usually that's usually what happens. Uh, there was uh, the case of the walls video. I think it was the first video we did. Okay. Uh, Clive Davis himself. We were we were at, at Arista and, and he uh, he had the video in his hand and he walked it over to MTV himself and gave it to him. Wow. And uh, I, I think that helped it get played. But it was mm-hmm. pretty it was pretty cool that uh, you know he did that and uh, uh, we kind of had a you know a, a little bit of a knowledge of when it was going to get played and it was maybe going to get played. So, okay. You know. Nice. So then you guys get to tour with, uh, you're on and off the road with, uh, well, you've kind of been touring with them on and off uh, for a while, Tora Tora. And I love, I've had the singer and the guitarist on there. What's it like touring with those guys? They seem pretty chill, like pretty fun to hang out with. Oh, yeah. They're like one of the first, when I first moved to Memphis, uh, they're probably one of the first handful of people I met, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were doing what we were trying to do. And, and, uh, you know, Bobby, uh, um, uh, I can't even think right now, but um, the Rock City Angels were here, and and uh, just a lot of great bands. Joanna Dean was here, and uh, R.T. Scott, and a bunch of you know the music scene when I got to Memphis was just crazy wide open, good, you know. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And then besides Tor Tor, you got to open for Cheap Trick, that and you said that was one of your favorite bands to play with right. in, in the '90s. Uh, you got to use their whole stage. What was that like? Oh man, you know, you just figure. Uh, usually, any kind of uh, opening gig we've done with anybody with any kind of fame, uh, you know, they cut your lights and cut your stage and cut your time and you know, cut everything, you know. And uh, these guys, man, we were we brought a, our little bit of gear and they had we were playing, I think, in Nashville at a Starwood Amphitheater, and you know, they were just like, "World's yours, boys," you know. Uh, they were just very, uh, very cool, you know for somebody to be on that level. And we were just a, you know, a, a, an up and coming, uh, rowdy little rock band, you know, and, uh, they were just uh, super nice. And, uh, you know, uh, I've met a lot of those, uh, a lot of my heroes that I saw growing up that, that weren't that way and really hmm. let you down. But, uh, them guys were, you know, top shelf and, uh, Absolutely. I, I thank them every day for what. Yeah, that's really cool. And then you got to open for dream theater. Um, now tell me about that because, those guys, for people who don't know that band, I mean, they should know that band because the musicians in that band, I mean, oh, like the drummer, the singer, like the keyboard player, every, the guitarist, I mean, everybody in that band I mean, is yeah. amazing. Were you just blown we away every the night? Guys, the guys that even move their gear are good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. You know, that was just, a, I don't even really remember how that happened. It was one of those little, uh, little tours that was thrown together. And once again, it, uh, it I think the reason that we got to jump on it because uh, it was ending up in our, uh, you know, at that point where we started out in Nashville, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, I wasn't going to pass that up getting to play there again, you know, in a big old spot. So, no, but them guys, man, you talking about good, man? They just come out and killed every night. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. And then um, another two I want to ask you about: uh, Jackal, Circus of Power, and Van Halen. So, yeah. and I, Eddie Van Halen, obviously, I mean, he just passed away. Do you have any memories? Did you get to meet him or he seems like he's pretty. No, I never got to, I never got to meet Eddie Van. Um, uh, you know, uh, that was one of the bands, um, anybody that grew up around, uh, you know, my time, uh, you had to go out and, uh, you had to go out to a record store and dig through the box and, and find the cool record. Mm. You know, you heard about the Van Halen record. But man, I wish I, I wish I could have met him. I got to meet David Lee uh, when I was oh. recording our second record with uh, Jim Gaines down here in Memphis. Uh, 
David Lee was wanting to work with him on one of his solo projects. So he come out and hung out in the studio with us for three days. And he wow. was one of those guys that I really looked up, you know, too, because for, for what he did, you know, people think he's brash and whatever he is, but you know, that's what he, that's what Van Halen was when it started. But man, he came down to the studio and hung out for three days and uh, sit over in the corner and listen to us record and talked and uh, hung out and was cool and well and we smoked weed and uh, it was uh, it was all good <laughs> you know so nice um, yeah uh, yeah i got to meet him and i was uh, i'm pretty happy about that you know i'm glad he uh i'm glad he was uh uh you know i'm glad he was uh you know not a uh an ass i'll just say oh that, yeah he was very cool very yeah, cool yeah because they say like don't meet your heroes because then you could be disappointed but yeah you'll feel bad when you leave <laughs> yeah but i always think it's like to me, it's kind of like I can separate. I can say, okay, well, maybe he's not a real cool person, but I still like his music or, right. you know, I still like the the football team they're on or the movie they did or whatever. Like I, I try to separate it. But sometimes it's obviously harder to do that. You know, if they commit a crime or something, then yeah. Right. Yeah. But so you had an interesting quote. Especially if it's on you. Yeah, the, yeah, that's true. You had an interesting quote about touring with uh, some of these bands. You said uh, some of the bands with no names uh, who were very full of themselves uh, or sorry. Yeah. Some bands with no names were like really full of themselves. And then some of the bigger bands were actually like cooler to you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I guess, you know, it's just like everything, uh, you don't know what kind of day you had when you met, you know, I met Blackie Lawless and he didn't like me for nothing. And, uh, you know, really? Yeah. He, uh, you know, he had, uh, we played the limelight with him and I'm not saying that bad, but he had four. 452 monitors with two 15s and horns in them. And they were the loudest shit I ever heard in my life. And uh, I was just trying to get his monitor man to turn them down because they were so loud. Yeah. And uh, he wouldn't do that. And, and, and Blackie wouldn't do it. So, you know, me being a little bit of redneck, uh, I just poured them full of water and turned them off for him. And uh, nobody used them. But and he was a little mad at me. He probably had more of a, more of a right. <laughs> Jeez. So wait, so let me get this straight. So he turned, the music was too loud that he was playing and, and you turned it down because, because no, we, we were opening for them and I was using, you know, their monitors and they had okay. set for them. Oh, but that was, that stuff was, it was so loud. Every time I said a word, it scared me to death. So, oh, you know, and I was just wanting them to pull them out or turn them off. Or yeah. Something. And they wouldn't do and it. They wouldn't, so I did. <laughs> wow! Does that screw up? But then it breaks it, right? If you poured water on it. Yeah, they blew them. I blew them up. <laughs> oh, so was that just like a one-time show, or was that like a tour you did with them? That was a one-time show with them guys. <laughs> One first and last time, huh? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Okay. Wow. So uh, another thing that you did was kind of interesting. You were on the Joan Rivers show, and you. T I heard you say that you got in trouble for this. Like what? You you said something you weren't supposed to talk about or what? Yeah, it was a uh, the show. I thought the show when it first started, I thought it was about um, you know the band and this and that and what was going on in music at that point in time. But yeah, uh, when I got there and, and I was sitting in the chair, I realized that the show was about what happens on the tour bus and what happens behind the scenes and after mm. the show and what goes on and and um, I had my drummer with me and he. He was, um, you know, I was in a relationship for a long time and uh, he wasn't. And uh, he proceeded to let it all out and I proceeded to get fired while he did. <laughs> so, oh, whoops. Um, no, but it was, uh, you know, uh, meeting her. She was a uh, she's crazy, cool and wide open. And, uh, you know, anything goes. But, uh, you know, she just wanted to know about what happened, 
on the on the bus after the shows and what was girls uh you know, it was all the groupie stories as crazy as, you know, stuff, her, you know, what they say and show on TV. And, you know, I guess we kind of filled in the blanks a little <laughs> bit of what it was back in the 80s. You know, it yeah. was a party. It was, uh, it was, you know, just wide open until it was too watered down with it, you know. Yeah. So is it true you you uh, visited the Playboy Mansion, too, when you at the height of the band's uh, peak? Yeah, I got in a little trouble there too. But <laughs> why'd you get in trouble for that? Uh, yeah, uh, I just got in trouble. I was on. Uh, I woke up the next morning. I had a, a red eye from Hollywood back down to. Uh, I think I was in Tampa or somewhere close to Tampa, and um, I woke up. The you know, I got got in the hotel real late. Got in my bed. And my tour manager, Tennessee, uh, woke me up in the morning with his cell phone. Uh, said that. You know, Jackie's on the phone, and then he threw me a USA Today, and he goes, and this is why. And I was on the cover of USA Today with Debbie Debbie Dregs. I think that's her name. She was a Playboy Playmate that I was doing the TV show with. And we were just at, at dinner or something, and she had on a, a bustier top, and she kept telling me all night to, you know, to, to flirt with her or whatever. And I, so I did, and they got a shot, and I got fired again. <laughs> what do you mean you got fired? Fired from what? I got fired from my home, my home life. <laughs> oh, your girlfriend fired you. <laughs> my woman wasn't digging it. She called me, and she goes, uh, it's kind of, you know, weird sitting at your uh, breakfast table with your grandfather, and he's looking at, you know, my fiancé with a girl on the cover of USA Today talking about being at the Playboy Mansion and stuff. So it, it just didn't go real well. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. So uh, <laughs> this is some crazy time. So then, uh, but anyways, we, we haven't gotten, so your second record, Wake Up Screaming. Uh, tell me about that because I heard you say that uh, there was a, like three songs on that album that you didn't like, but you did it as a favor to Clive Davis. Like the cover of Tobacco Road and a couple other ones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just, I call it when, um, you know, uh, when I did this thing, I was real gun ho about doing what this band was. And this band has always been about nothing but being a, you know, straight gut rock and roll band. And, you know, you get people that are backing you and doing your thing and spinning the dough. You know, you got to you got to give and take and do, you know, what you got to do to to make it happen. And um, uh, he uh, called me and asked me if I would do um, these three songs and um the the uh yeah he asked the tobacco road and it had been done to death and uh, these other two songs i think the guy from autograph weren't one of them uh mm. you remember turn out the radio yeah I yeah one, i love one that song them. and you know and they were good little hit songs but the thing about it was is when we were out uh touring and writing on the first uh the second record wake up screaming you know we were on the road watching grunge you know come in every night opening right. bands were more grunge so the record label you know clive and them were going man we need another love can make you blind and i was going man love can make you blind's gone man the ballad days are going the this music that's coming up is is street music man it's you know it's more uh you know more low budget and more bang for the buck thing and um and uh but i did i sold my soul for you know he he said i'd get i'll get this on a movie and i you know he gave me a little bit of money and and uh, I sold my soul to the devil because right then it all went downhill, you know, because uh, uh, I didn't like, you know, I, not that I don't like the songs, but I didn't want to cover Tobacco Road. David Lee Roth did it better than I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, and uh, you know the all the other people before I can't do nothing for it. <laughs> yeah, so, so and I I did them and I paid the price and here I am. <laughs> well, yeah, so you guys had to kind of scale down and you you played some clubs and some smaller venues. Who did did you tour do any tours off that record with any bands on that one? Oh, uh, yeah, man, we were I mean, we played with um man, we went out with uh we did a bunch of shows with uh I can remember the band like Green Jello and uh, oh. uh just all kind of all kind of bands that we wouldn't be associated with. Okay. You know, if considered being an 80s band but uh you know that that's uh, you know we always got offered tours like winger and stuff like that but and nothing against none of them cats but um you know they were and that would have been big tours to get on and be in front of a lot of people but we were just uh we just wasn't that kind of band you know uh uh, we're just we're just a little different, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. We would we would pass on it and go out with somebody like Circus of Power or or uh, Spread Eagle or somebody like that. Yeah, no, those are some good bands. So then, uh, so Jim uh, left the band. You still keep in touch with him? Um, is this around the time you started doing the motorcycle racing? I, I pretty much raced motorcycles since I was I'm going to say five or six. I okay, riding. Um, that's. That's my, uh, my, my, probably my really, my, my big thing. That's my drug, you know? So, uh, yeah, I raced uh, motorcycles and bicycles and dirt bikes till, till, uh, my daughter was born. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I started breaking my hands too bad. So I had to quit that when I had record deal and broke, uh, I had a little girl going, daddy, I'm hungry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man. I into everything. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of the drugs, so you did get into drugs for a little bit and then you, I heard you talking about, you got into crystal bad. meth. Can you like, tell me how you got oh, into man, that? that was the, well, you know, in this business, after every night you play, uh, it's not real hard to get anything. Really? <laughs> it's really hard to stay away from anything, mm. but, uh, you know, it was just, um, God, you know, you went, you go through the things, you know, there was, you know, there was cocaine and this and, and marijuana and everything. And, you know, and I ain't gonna lie. Uh, I'm a, I, I smoke, uh, marijuana to this day because I think, uh, that it, uh, kind of relax you and let you do your thing. And, uh, I just write better. Uh, it seems like when I'm, when I'm, uh, got a buzz. <laughs> Is it legal there yet? Or, uh, but yeah, man, I tried everything. I, I jump into everything, ass backwards, feet first, and then try to figure <laughs> out how I'm going to get to the bank and get out. Yeah. Cause you thought, uh, after I'm in. yeah, you thought crystal meth might make you more efficient at like writing music and stuff like that. But right. It, it actually was like, didn't help you. It actually made things worse. Oh yeah, man. It, uh, you know, it, it, it did for a minute, you know, you feel like, Oh man, I've got all this and I've got so much going on, but the more shit you get going on, the less shit you get finished. And, uh, mm. you know, I just had to ride the, uh, I had to just ride it until I got to the point where, you know, everybody goes to the point where they get to the edge and, you know, uh, if you go any further, there's, uh, two things left jail, death, or you can, uh, you know, get your shit together. And, uh, you know, I had a little girl, so then I, I had more of a reason to get my shit together. And, you know, I, I felt like I, I jumped into my career. I wanted this and I wanted everything. I jumped into it and then I got sideswiped and then I got, uh, sidetracked. And then I just felt I, I wanted to get it back and I've worked my ass off to get back to, to this point. And, uh, you know, I just had to, 
that's why I always what I wanted to do, and I kind of feel like I shot myself in the foot, so I'm trying to bandage it up and limp through the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, so this is interesting, because I know you did some smaller uh, albums on the Paris Records, like the Smoke and Delta Voodoo and the Backtracks and the Deeper Shade of wow. Grey and all those. But um, there was like a 13-year absence there. And um, I heard you talking about, you know, you had to do some side work and stuff to to pay the bills. And you had to like actually paint houses and stuff like that, right? Oh, man, I paint. Uh, I, I, at one time, you know, I did whatever. But, you know, sometimes right now, you know, when it gets hard times, I, I weld, I'll go weld and I, I do a bunch of fabricating work for this uh this company when I'm home and I have uh, nothing to do and no money. Uh, you know, if you see a FedEx truck or a Coca-Cola truck, I've probably done something to it. <laughs> so do you ever get recognized as the singer of uh, every mother's nightmare when you're doing that kind of yeah, work? Yeah, It's fun too. When you're all really, hell. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. It's one thing, man. And I was dirty and, uh, I was, I was doing a little thing like this and uh, I was like, man, I'm sorry. I just got a, you know, I had like 10 minutes to get from where I was, what I was doing to here. So, but you know, I'm. You got to do what you got to do. You got to uh, if you got to work a little bit on the side to do yeah. what you love to do, then that's what you got to do. <laughs> no, I, if you sit home in a chair and go, God, I wish I would have done that. You're gonna miss it. Right. So you kept the music going, and then um, this is cool. In the in 2015, you did that grind the EP, and you had uh, some really big guests on this album uh, or the EP, excuse me. Uh, uh-huh. Zach Myers of Shinedown and uh, Wayne uh, Swinney of Saliva. How did you know that you know those guys yeah, since they man. were little kids, huh? And they used to get on stage with you? Oh uh, man, I've known uh, I think I was, I think I was probably the first person to ever record Zach Myers. Uh, he used to come to my little studio and uh man him and his dad, you know, I've known him. He'd get on stage with us. He was probably tw- 12 maybe when I met him. And um of course, you know, Wayne Sweeney, I, I he was one of the other first people I met when I moved to Memphis and uh, mm-hmm. Just the guy's incredible guitar player. Both of them guys are incredible. Sweeney is just, uh, I don't know, he's a freak of nature. He's just terribly, terribly good. And don't it just comes to him natural. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's this, you, you see him go, man, that guy, it makes me mad. But he's incredible. And they did me big favors, you know, uh, came in. Uh, I scraped enough stuff together. When I did the grind thing, it was just five song EP. And um I got that together and got them to play on it. And uh, our, our buddy, Mr. Jim Dandy, you know, he's a, he's a legend. Singer and, uh, of Black Oak, Arkansas, right? For years. Yeah, 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 man. He, uh, he was uh, in town and we'd done a couple of shows. He lives here in Memphis and we hung out a little bit. And, uh, you know, he came over to the studio one night and I was doing that this song on the grind record. Uh, um, you know, and I, I just said, man, hey, let's get Jim to do it. And, uh, and we just got him to go in there, and everybody was trying to write him down this. And I said, man, he's been doing this. He sold out Madison Square Garden three times. He's been doing this since I was, you know, little kid. He's got it. And I just let him go in there and, and just spit out stuff. And, uh, man, it was incredible. You know, it, the song was cool. Uh, them guys were cool for doing it. And uh, my little five-song EP, you know, that's what. Uh, the 13 years we were down, we were not down. with You know, music. And that time went through a really rut, a bad everything. You know, it was hard to keep deals. It was hard to do anything. And um, I had my little uh, Paris deal. You know, they offered me a little deal, and that, mm-hmm. that's all I had. So I went with that. And uh, I, when I got done with that, I scraped enough money together, and I did the little grind EP, and I wanted to do it with uh, 
with uh, Justin Reimer because I loved what he was doing and he had a little bit of a different edge and you know he played with 12 Stones and and uh, uh, you know a bunch of other great bands and uh, he's a great guitar player and he had a studio down here and uh, he did me a solid buddy deal too on the, doing the five song and uh, I got that done and the first couple of shows I played uh, I went to Houston and run into my uh, buddy Larry Larry uh, Petrov and he um, he works for Kanak and he's come and seen me play every time I've ever been in Texas since my first show there. And uh, he came up after the show and we hung out and he got him a, a five song EP. And the next morning after he heard it, you know, uh, he called Bill Chavis uh, from Highball where I'm at now. And uh, he, uh, me and Bill had been friends for a long time. And he just said, Hey, Chavis, have you heard what the nightmares are doing or you know, what rules doing? And, and uh, within like two days, uh, Chavis then got in touch with me and uh, he had, I sent him the record and, and uh, the five song and he uh, dug it and he called me back. He goes, man, we couldn't work together uh, about eight years ago, but he goes, man, I'm wide open. He goes, let's do a full record. Let's finish this record and let's go. Let's uh, get this back where it was and get you doing what you do. And uh, he pulled me out of the, he pulled me. Pulled me up a bad spot. Yeah, I can, I can tell you're getting a little emotional about that. So he really helped yeah. you out, huh? Yeah, he's my partner, man. He uh, he's got my back on a lot of things, and uh, but he pulled me out of a bad spot, and uh, he said, "Let's finish this record." And uh, he said, "You got any more songs?" And I've got. I said, "Man, I got two hundred songs. I got, <laughs> I've got songs everywhere. I'll write you five tonight. So that's what we need." To do. What was the What was the and, bad uh, spot? Just back in and. Just stuff just, with you know, like I said, I'd I'd scraped up every dime, every penny I could to, to do that record, and I'd asked every favor. I'd asked all of my friends, you know, Zach and everybody. They everybody done me solid, and uh, I didn't want them to be bad, and I wanted it to be, you know, where they didn't look bad. I didn't want to make them in any kind of thing, and and uh, just you know, just I, you know, I'd almost pretty much gave up on what I'd been doing and what I started out doing. And uh, when Bill called, he was like, "Man, let's get it." get it going and he goes uh he just you know he just said man we're partners 50 50 we'll do uh, he goes i got your back wow uh, you don't uh, send me the songs we'll go through it and uh you know uh, i love the cat man he, he does he's done so much for me and my guys and my band uh you know when we went wow. to do this record uh he um you know i didn't let him hear one song until he came to the studio and we were pretty much done recording it every day he would go Send me a song rule. <laughs> like, man, I can't. Because uh, uh, this record was uh, just uh, something a little different. We'll get into that. Yeah. Later, but let's well, no, let's talk best about cat in the world, man. Yeah. Let's talk about the new album, uh, Resurrect the Faithful. There's actually a 30 minute documentary called Here's the Here's to the Ones. I watched it. It's free on the Brave Words uh, Facebook right. page. Um, and you talked about how you know you didn't want to write the same album twice, so every album's going to sound different. So tell me about this one because first of all, what does the title refer to? Resurrect the Faithful. Well, you know, I was uh, this the, this song. Uh, Gunner had written this, the music for this, or the pieces of the music. And uh, one night when we were, uh, you know, in a writing session, um, you know, we were working through it. And uh, you know, Troy Fleming, my bass player, he's been with me a long time. He uh, he was just kind of messing around at first, and we started changing, you know, a little bit of how the uh, how he had the song structured and. Uh, 
and uh, and it was it was making Gunner mad a little bit. I could tell we were just kind of working on him a little bit because it was his, his song. He was proud of it. And uh, so then I jumped on board, and I'm like, no, we got to change it. We got to change it. So we changed it, and it came out. Uh, the music was really cool, but what it, I was uh, playing with Gunner and messing around, well, the song became a very difficult thing for me to write, and uh, I couldn't get nothing for it. I went to the studio, and I was listening to it, and, in my studio at my house, I was listening to it. Nothing melody-wise, word-wise, nothing was coming. You know, it was just like every night I'd do it. It's like that's awful. It's terrible. It's worse. And um, we were in the studio one night tracking it, and um, yeah, I just the the music and the way it started, and everything was so cool. I I just went out in the control room and said, "Dude, it's not happening tonight." You know. Um, it's just the words are not coming. The feel is not coming. And uh, it was just, there was so much stuff I was trying to cram in here. So I went home and uh, me and my little boy were uh, cooking macaroni and cheese and just, you know, messing around in the kitchen and uh, just talking and saying things. And he said something, I said something. And I started going, uh, I said, resurrect the faithful. Hmm. And I was like, ah, and I was like, resurrect the faithful. And I was like, that's pretty cool. You know? Uh, and so I started humming that. And by the time I was doing macaroni and cheese, I didn't have a chorus going. <laughs> and uh, I dropped that wow. line. I was like, huh. I say to you, I'm going to resurrect the faithful. I, I will not be. And I called him back. I said, hey, man, everybody's still down there? And he's like, yeah. I said, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> so I gave my kid macaroni and cheese. I went back to the studio. <laughs> wow. That's I amazing said, hey, to hear the inspiration was macaroni and cheese. Right, you know, right. Yeah. And uh, my, it's something my kid said. It just sparked and hit me in the head. And I was like, oh, cool. I dropped one line out. It fell together. Uh, I called them. I said, give me three passes, two or three passes. If we're not in the ballpark or something's not workable, salvageable or whatever, uh, we'll can it. And I'll go home and I'll start working on something else. And uh, he gave me three passes and I run through there and, and uh, I, you know, kind of pieced the course together enough where he'd get the idea of it. And uh, I come out in the control room. I said, where are we at, man? And he said, we're recording. Get on in there. <laughs> so, uh, I recorded the whole thing that night. And, uh, you know, the record before that night was uh, we were calling it Frey. Uh, and uh, I called Bill that night. I said, I think we're going to change the uh, the name oh. of the record. And he said, what are you changing it to? And I said, uh, what do you think about Resurrect the Faithful? And he's like, that's pretty cool. He goes, yeah. can I hear the song? I said, no. <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway, he, he ended up flying to Memphis a couple of days later. We were pretty much done tracking and everything. And when he heard the record, he came out and he was just like, uh, you know, he goes, man, he had a, the documentary crew were there the next day yeah. and we started on that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and then tell me about the first, the single breathe. Uh, I, I heard this even, before the whole album came out, but it's a great song. And then I saw the video too. The video has got like 175,000 views on YouTube. So it's got a lot of Man, exposure. I, I'm so, I, I thank everybody for that. Cause it jumped. I was thinking if we make a thousand views, I'll be like, thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, end of the day we were at 40 and then the next day we were jumped up and the fourth day we were at 160 something. I was like, you know, I, I was blown away, and uh, I thank everybody for that because, uh, you know, this this business is about the fans, and that's what really matters. And if you think that it's not, you're way off base. Oh, definitely. That. Yeah, no. So you the know. song, it kind of has like a, an Alice Cooper vibe to it. Am I correct to say that? 
Oh yeah, man. Everything is going to be, you know, that's when I want the thing about writing this record is I wanted to do, I set everybody down in the studio in here and I was like, um, what I want to do is I don't want to rehash another record. I don't want anybody to go, this sounds like the last record or this, you know, I would much rather somebody go, this don't sound like none of the records. And I was like, you know, to me, you got to evolve and you got to push your boundaries and you always got to listen to what's happening. You know, uh, back in the day when grunge was coming in, everybody was going, I hate it. I don't want it now. But I was like, I watched it come in. So I was like, this is street music. This is cool. Alice in Chains, and 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 uh, you know them bands that came out right there. Uh, Alice in Chains is probably one of my favorite bands ever. So uh, my whole life growing up writing songs, all the bands that I loved and what I loved about them. That's what you do when you write. If you ask me, you take little pieces mm-hmm. and feels of sure. uh, of all the stuff, and and then you make your part with it. But uh, that's what I told them. I said I want to do everything on this record. Even if something as little as the drum feel going coming into a song or the intro or the chorus passes, I started doing my courses, uh, you know, doing a lot of three lines and then going back into a verse and finishing my tags and this this stuff different, you know, where it's not like, you know, the same cookie cutter right. type song. And um, I just said, I just want the drum feels, everything from drum feels, punches, songs, content, you know. I'm not worried about riffs. I just want, when you hear it, you know, what's good. When you hear something good, it hits you in the gut and you know, good from shit. And uh, that's just, yeah, that's it. And we, no, it sounds great. Uh, and we started writing that way and we started writing breathe. And, uh, I even, you know, with the, uh, the first verse, there's no time for introductions. You see, uh, I wanted that to be different. I wanted it to be like, if you were sitting down in a floor somewhere and I was just, we're all in a, uh, uh, with our, you know, a little Indian position, and you're, you know, smoking a bowl or whatever, or talking. And uh, I just wanted to, that's where I wanted it to be just, you know, talking to somebody. And, uh, and when the first course hit, it's, it's, it's almost like a such a breath when I heard that. I, the first thing I thought of is, I gotta breathe. Yeah, no, it um, sounds great. I was so, I was scared to play it for uh, the band. I, I'd been doing it here in my studio and, singing it and doing all the little different passes on it and uh, i brought troy and alan bone in here secretly one day and uh and i played it for them and they were like dude that that that's where we need to go and they dug it and i so that was a weight off my shoulder and that was probably the last song that we had written uh but, but i was trying to get into uh this studio down here with dave cal he's a Man, he's the most crazy good producer you can ever meet and just the best guy. But him and his partner, Matt Montgomery, built, uh, you know, Supernova Memphis Recording Studio. It's right behind my my subdivision where I live. Hmm. Just a stroke of luck. And uh, uh, I went down there one night. They wanted me to come out and look at their studio. And we were hanging out. And, uh, and I'd been wanting to get in there and talk to Dave anyway. So uh, I went down there and sat and we were watching – what they were doing and listening to what they were doing. And, uh, they finally just turned around and said, Hey man, you come here and do your next record. He goes, it'll sound this big, this big, and it'll cost this much. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. So, so breathe, with, I, yeah. breathe. I had almost finished and uh, we, uh, we didn't, we wanted to see how his producer hat was. So we went a week down there and, uh, we showed him breathe and we recorded it and it came out, you know, I was, 
Like, that's where I want to go. I want to, you know, it's still EMN, but it's got to be, you know, different. This is a whole new world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just threw it uh, threw it out there. And when it came back, it stuck, and I loved it. And uh, and we just went from there, and uh, we went and recorded the record. That, that night, we said we we're going to be here and finish. And uh, every song after that was just like a very, very organic, and everything just kind of came like, you know, we had made all the right steps and did all the preparing and everything kind of. You know, there was little hard parts and fights and stuff, but, you know, everything was uh, gelling and moving and, you know, uh, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll so talk about it for nine hours. Yeah. I can tell you're, you're really passionate about it. It's a great record. Um, now, I heard you say about touring that you haven't been paid for touring in the last five years, but you just, as long as you can pay your band, you're happy because you just love to make music. Man, I haven't been paid, uh, you know, other than you know, what needs to be paid the, the, for the band, you know, the yeah. band pretty much, the band covers itself when we're out on the road and stuff. And okay. and if I can, if I can make it happen, you know, if I come home with a little extra money or, or whatever, uh, more power to it, but you know, uh, long as I can uh, survive and, uh, and, you know, my kid don't goes hungry. Uh, <laughs> we're good. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, cause you've played some pretty big shows even recently. You have to play with Brett Michaels and Warrant and uh, who else? I mean, oh, if- yeah. I mean, we've played, we've played, we, we kind of did, you know, d- we did maybe a dumb thing, but you know, we bought, uh, we got tired of renting uh, $8,700, uh, you know, every couple of week tour buses. And mm-hmm. so we bought a tour bus and, you know, we pay for that and, and all that kind of stuff and crew and driver and, and band guys and whatever needs to be paid. Uh, you know, I don't care if I, if I make a couple bucks, that's great. Uh, mainly I just want to get out. And if, you know, I had, a I had somebody already off this new record, uh, contacted me said, man, this song got me through so much, man. Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of what, what I do is for man, if I can, everything that I've lived through and I write about if it helps somebody out or, you know, or just makes them feel halfway worth a crap for a minute. You know, that's uh, I did good. I did my job and uh, absolutely. You know, I'm happy as long as I can write and get the thing, de- get the demons off my chest and get them off my shoulders. Yeah. Good. Is it true? You wrote a, uh, you, cause you guys cover like Skinner and Charlie Daniels sometimes in the set. Is it true? You wrote a country record called truck stop love. Oh man, you really? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> me and my best friend, uh, my best friend Craig Chambers. He uh, he's been our tour manager, and he started out just being, you know, just one of the guys that went out and helped us. But he ended up being our tour manager and just doing everything for us. And uh, me and him, uh, we had this, uh, you know, everywhere we go on the road, we stop, you know, it, you stop at truck stops on the on the road and that's what you kind of live vicariously through love truck stops and whatever out yeah. there. But we started doing this thing where uh, every time we'd go in a big loves and they got hats and cowboy hats and this different thing and bolo, Craig would come out and he'd have a different outfit. So we start doing the, the EMN Christmas crew calendar with Craig and it's just, you know, cowboy hats riding uh, <laughs> horses or, you know, bolos or just the worst outfit he can find. And, uh, we started writing this record. It's called Truck Stop Love. And uh, yeah, it's just a funny country, uh, kind of real country uh, uh, truck stop sounding songs about stuff that happens at truck stops. That sounds funny. That's funny. (laughs) I hope that's released someday. Do you guys have any uh, tour dates for Every Mother's Nightmare lined up yet? I know that, you know, it's kind of hard to tour during the pandemic here, but. uh, Right. Uh, 
right now I know we had a we we've had a big pile and we had six overseas shows that canceled uh, and you know they pop back in they'll cancel them for so many months and then when you get there they're like well we got to cancel it so I, yeah I don't really know what I know we got November seventh maybe kind of for sure and then the rest is uh, up in the air <laughs> up in the air okay well thanks so much so for we're doing ready this. To go. <laughs> yeah, um, I always like to end with a charity. I don't know if Bill told you. Is there a charity that you have, like to promote or want to throw a shout out to? Yeah, man, I'll give you a, the whole idea behind the um, the uh, um, documentary and stuff. Uh, the name of the documentary is Here's to the Ones. Yeah. And there's a song on the record called Here's to the Ones. And when I was writing this record, when I would be somewhere uh, welding or something, or just I, I was listening to uh, you know just country, what's happening on country radio now, and and old country and this and that. But I was just listening to every song that came on there, um, and I'd met a couple of these guys. But every song come on the radio was like, man, this song goes out to the guy that didn't make it and didn't come home, and this and that. And look here, I come from a military family, grandfather. Mm. Uh, uncles everybody uh and i i know exactly what they're saying but uh, i met a bunch of these guys on the road and shows we played that uh, went over there afghanistan and come home and you know the hurt and uh you know people don't care and people call them this and you know their woman leaves them whatever you know just bad, bad shit happens they're over there watching our back and making sure that we're good and bad shit happens to them so i wrote this song uh Here's to the ones, here's to the ones that came back home, you know, and I, 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 I celebrate both of them, but I met this kid in Texas when we were playing and he's the guy that really brought this home. Was oh, this he, the guy uh, that lost his leg, Mike or whatever? Yeah, man. Uh, his name, uh, I call him Mighty Mike because I, I signed his leg uh, uh, and he just was the coolest kid. He had been hit, um, you know, by, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, a bomb, you know, a bomb, Sure, you know, we don't even think about it. He got hit by a bomb. He got hit in the head, lost a leg. And when I talked to him, he was so cool, but you could tell in his eye, man, that he had seen the real deal. And, um, he just really affected me. You know, he was like, you know, he goes, man, I appreciate you watching our back. And he goes, man, nobody cares. And I said, well, I care. And I gave him, you know, I gave him pictures or whatever and hung out with him, signed his leg and, he was just the coolest guy. And I was just like, I want to do a song about all these guys that, you know, th this guy that contacted me the other day, he goes, man, as soon as I went over to war, uh, he goes, I went in there three days and my, my girlfriend, high school girlfriend called, uh, wrote me and, and, and ended our relationship and, and this. And I was like, damn, you know, <laughs> damn, you know, Ouch. that hurts. And, um, so I wrote this song and I, I, I'm trying to get it worked out, finished worked out, but, you know, all the proceeds off here's to the ones uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, just donate it to the wounded warrior thing and, and do whatever yeah. we can do for them guys. And, Great. you know, whatever, you know, cause it, you don't really think about it, but the shit me and you're doing right now, you know, there's somebody over there watching out and making sure that we can sit and do this. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm a defender. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I just, I, I just, I appreciate it, man. And uh, just seeing somebody that, you know, that had to go through that and lose so much. Right. Uh, still want my stupid ass to sign his leg. You know, I was like, shit, man. <laughs> I yeah. said, I ought to be hanging out one, you know, to sign my forehead or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Absolutely. Just a cool kid. Good deal. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Rick. Everybody check out the new album, Resurrect the Faithful. And uh, your whole catalog is available on, uh, I don't know if it's on Apple Music, but I know it's on Spotify. I was listening to a whole bunch of stuff today. So Yeah, it's all out there. You yeah. Know? I, I'm, I'm glad that the, the newer stuff I get to, uh, you know, the bad thing about all those records we did through the Paris years and stuff is money was so low. Oh, and your thing was just, but yeah. this record's good. I love it. I love the grind record, but this is probably the best thing I've done, and I'm very proud of it. And I thank you for even talking to me about it. Okay. Thank you so much, Rick. All right. All right, brother. Bye bye. Bye, man. So, check out the new Every Mother's Nightmare album. Resurrect the Faithful is the name. Uh, the cool thing is, you can hear the whole album for free on Spotify and decide if you like it or not. I think it's great stuff. Rick is a nice guy. I love his passion for the music, and I can tell he's just got a good heart. Uh, so make sure to follow him and Every Mother's Nightmare on social me- uh, social media. Uh, follow me if you enjoyed this interview. I got a lot more that I've already done and many more to come. So make sure to subscribe to the show uh, wherever you listen so you don't miss any future episodes. Uh, thank you to Rick. Thank you all for listening. And remember, shoot for the moon.